Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history, and we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at Griselda Blanco, the Black Widow. All the documentaries I've watched, she's mm. Colombian. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the like Grisada. people, cool. there's just that accent. And so I really, I, I'm upset. I love Spanish speaking yeah. cultures. Yeah. Like, it's just, uh, and when they speak English, they just sound so sexy. Great. When I was in them. Um, so like dramatic. And I know. Cool. When I was in Texas, on my Texas trip, I was with Daniel, who was Mexican. And the guy that was in charge of the trip, he was Spanish, but he lived in Abu Dhabi and they talked together in Spanish quite a lot. And I was like asking them questions like, do you speak the same kind of Spanish or is it different because you're you're from Mexico and you're from Spain? And he was like, oh, it's a bit different, but we understand each other. Just some things are a little bit different. And then there were some words that when they were talking to each other, I'd like try and repeat it because it sounded cool and it's the whole rolling of the r's yeah and i was like like and they're like no no like this and i was like repeating them wrong and they were like very patient and great but um i was like oh, i just really want to be able to say it it's great it's beautiful it's a beautiful language it's so interesting how different languages you are able to make different noises with your throat and your tongue do and not even get me started on this why because I just, it's such a hole I fall down regularly. Yeah. Because, like, their muscles... Like, are different. Like accents, yeah. Because, like, accents, they will have learned to say stuff in a certain way, and that's, like, a regional accent. Because your mouth has literally developed... To speak to like speak that. To speak like that. Yeah. And realistically, all we're doing is making sounds and interpreting them to have meaning. Yeah. And who decided to have those meanings? And like your name, Helen, is just me moving my mouth he- to Len. make those sounds. Yeah. They're just sounds. I could be like, Helen. And yeah. like those two sounds is separately mean nothing, but together, that's your name. And that's you understand those sounds yeah. to be you, right? This is what I mean with like the whole baby much. thing and babies learning language. Like you're talking at Sylvie going, hungry? That is just a sound. Hungry is a, ha- a sound. It's How all she- just and, sounds. And, sh- and then she's eventually able to interpret that as my tummy is empty. The sound hungry equals my tummy's empty. Oh my God. Isn't it's just it? literally all too much in wow. it. Wow. It's too much. It's funny how I say mine, like with accents, isn't it? Like I say my name is Helen and they go Helene? Helen? Helen? It's funny, isn't it? It's too, it's uh, like, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. It's all a lot. And um, where do the accents come from? Where do the languages come from? This Tower of Babel, that's where. That's Is the that only, actually a thing? That was the Jesus book. I, the only Sunday school book that I kept. Wasn't that the Rosetta Stone? We all spoke the same language. And then, from what I recall, then they built the Tower of Babel and all of a sudden everyone had different languages. There you go. Language by Helen Anderson. <laughs> yeah. People do degrees in linguistics. I know. <laughs> You've just done it. You've just just done it. It's the Tower of Babel narrative in Genesis 
11.1-9 is an origin myth and parable meant to explain why the world's people speak different languages. And I had it in a book. I had it like in a picture book. It's funny that, isn't it? That is cool. I had an awkward thing on the way here. Yeah. I was stuck in traffic because there's temporary traffic lights. I just sort of had a little look around because they were taking ages. And literally everybody in the cars on the other side of the road going the other way who were also at a standstill, mm-hmm. everyone was just bare staring in everyone's cars. And I thought, this is unusual because normally you're like, oh, don't make eye contact with anybody. But I just caught loads of people just bare face, like I'm staring at you to the point where I was like, do I? Do I have something on my face? Is it because my car is really dirty? My car is really dirty. And then I looked around and everybody was just doing it because there's nothing else to do. And then I was like, I'm staring at everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I'm seeing everybody staring. Are they just staring because I'm staring? And it was, oh, it's Who started so the stare? Who started the stare? And then I just thought, name a more awkward situation than when you pull up to some traffic lights and they're red and you make eye contact with the person next to you and go, ugh. <laughs> oh no and then you sort of have to do that just look ahead just look ahead i'm just casually looking ahead i'm not i'm just casually looking ahead don't sing because then they'll know that oh this is it this is where it goes up a notch because this is where you make a decision i'm always singing in my car and like having the best time I get to a traffic light i'm still singing and the amount of times i've looked over and someone is staring at me having the best party in my car and i go i can make a decision here i either stop and that's acknowledged that i've known that i know that they're looking at me and that i'm i'm giving in to the embarrassment or i continue like i don't give a shit and, yeah. I, and I, i've come to the point in my life now where i continue because i think i don't want them to think that they've had an impact on me that they've stopped my car party yeah. I'm going to keep going. And uh, uh, the best is when you pull up to either a lorry driver looking down or a taxi driver and you keep going and then they're like, yeah, <laughs> they're like, thumbs up. Come on, girl. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> and for that split minute, you become best friends and then yeah. you're off. <laughs> then you just carry on living your separate <laughs> life. <laughs> I was thinking like, God, I hope they didn't catch me like picking my nose. Or, like, that is the fear that like, I have oh a lot. God, or like if you like addressed a certain way, I'm like, ha, if uh, someone in a truck would like would look at me like right now and it will look like I've got no trousers on. But it's yes. just because my shorts are really short. <laughs> I have it where I sometimes just pick my nose and my ear or part of my body because I don't know I'm doing it. It's just something or like and I've gone, I just picked my ear then looked at my finger then. Did someone see me do that? <laughs> Right, so today, let's get to it. We didn't even have to ask each other how we were. We just went full on. But straight into it. Yeah. A beautiful friendship. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that is. So you're going to like today's one, I think. Okay. Because I'm going to try really hard to be as accurate as I can with the pronunciation of stuff. Story of our lives? Yeah. But this is on Spanish, so I'm going to enjoy it. Oh, yeah. And I did learn Spanish once. <laughs> yeah. And um, I always find it weird that the Caribbean, mm. Trinidad, right, is so close to Venezuela, yeah. where they speak Spanish, mm-hmm. right? But in Trinidad, mm. they don't speak Spanish. Right, it's not even like a pidgin Spanish and English mm-hmm. like mashup or anything. Well, you know, we, but like we're very really close to France though, but we don't speak French. Oh yeah, it's not like it's leaked into like Devon. It's just weird, isn't it? It's weird. It's weird to me. I wish I you knew, just wish you were Spanish. I wish I could speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Baxter, Baxter, I told you, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Every time, that's all that happens in my head. But yeah, so lots of like lovely Spanish names and 
A whale's vagina. Yeah. <laughs> no whale's vagina, so. But yeah, Griselda. Okay. Griselda. Gri- that was it. The rolling of the R. Gris. Gri. Gri. You got it from the back. Gri. 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 And then I and I went what well, like this and then I went ah, like Chewbacca and they oh. were like no, no I do it with my tongue I do it with, I do it with my tongue at the front Griselda if anyone listening who is Spanish or is fluent in Spanish apologies yeah sorry <laughs> sorry in advance the usual we don't speak good <laughs> yeah I can't even read or speak good English so I've had to do some um, it's hard when you then they're challenged with I've done some phonetics in this one okay good for me. So, fingers crossed. Let's yes. set the scene. Go. Shall we? Okay. I'm chilling. Da-da. It's July 1979. In a quiet strip mall. Daedland shopping mall. It's a quiet sort of strip mall. 2.30 in the afternoon. Quiet Miami day. Until an armoured delivery van pulls into the car park. With the words, happy time, complete party supply, emblazoned on the side. Yeah. Nothing bad can come out of a van happy that has time. that on the side. Surely. No. You'd be wrong oh. if you thought that. Armed hitmen. Shit. Exit the van and enter the Crown Liquor Store. They open fire and kill two men inside. Oh, fuck. And wound two staff members. Oh. It turns into a shootout and there is just bullets, like there's bullet holes everywhere shit but luckily none of the staff members are killed just the intended victims what witnesses have just seen is a pivotal moment in the start of the war of the cocaine cowboys cocaine cowboys there's a song by a wasp called cocaine cowboys that's about this Uh, this is Is it time of life is it yeah this is a big hit in the miami drug wars is it and the hit was ordered by none other than la madrina the Black Widow, Griselda Blanco. Griselda Blanco. Cool. So let's go back to the start. Griselda Blanco Restrepo was born in Cartagena on the north coast of Colombia on 14th of February 1943. And she was then raised in the city of Medellin by her mother, Ana. They lived in like a slum, like a shanty village. They were really poor and they lived in like huge poverty. So a criminal lifestyle was adopted by Griselda very early on, super early on. Her mum, Anna, was a sex worker and reportedly would like, she'd just beat the shit out of Griselda. Really? Like a lot. So Griselda spent a lot of her time on the streets. She didn't go home very much. God. Yeah. And she was sort of forced to fend for herself, mm-hmm. basically. And when I say that she began a criminal lifestyle at an early age, like I'm not exaggerating. It's reported that at the age of 11, Griselda assisted in the kidnapping of a 10 year old boy from a wealthy family. And then after his family failed to pay the ransom, she either did it herself or assisted in shooting the boy dead. Fuck. Killed him. I was at the age of 11. That's messed yeah, uh, there's a film about Griselda Blanco called Cocaine Godmother, uh, where Griselda is played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, who really? is just such a beautiful woman. Oh, God, she is, isn't she? Um, yeah, but in the film, they sort of imply that Griselda's mum was essentially pimping her out as a child. Oh. Yeah. I can't find sources as to whether that's actually true, mm. but it is amongst her sort of criminal activities from an early age sex work is one of them she's like sort of petty thievery Mm -hmm. kidnapping and killing a boy Mm -hmm. um all in all a rough upbringing yeah 
Yeah, around the age of 13, she met a man called Carlos Trujillo, who was a fellow small-time criminal Mm -hmm. and document forger. He was also big on the booze. Okay. Boozy. But they married, they got married, and they went on to have three sons together, Osvaldo, Dixon, Mm -hmm. and Hubert. Uber. I love that. When Uber. I read it, I was like, Uber. <laughs> Uber. <laughs> yeah. Uber. Uber. They called him Uber. And they moved to New York City cool. using fake passports. They used fake documents. What is it with the last Charles? Yeah, I Mates know. Charles. Maybe Charles helped them out But with this that. is the thing. Like, I don't really understand why they used the fake documents to get into America. Because I don't know whether it's just like because they didn't want their criminal history to follow them or like... Well, really make- perhaps they were going in illegitimately. Yeah, they definitely didn't have the right visas and stuff, yeah. I guess. So they forged those and they just gave themselves new identities. Yeah. They set themselves up with a business mm-hmm. of making fake documents. Okay. Brought the forgeries with them and they also sold a bit of weed here mm-hmm. and there. Apparently they were responsible for bringing um, a particular strain like Colombian gold. Great. Over from Colombia. Yeah. And that's how it was like introduced to America. Oh, they got famous for that, did they? Well, I don't, I don't famous isn't the word, no. Uh. But um yeah, so they but they were still quite small time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said Carlos was super boozy, like he was just a drunk and he just sounds like a total waste of space to be honest. Right. And Griselda was actually the one who was really good at forging the documents mm-hmm. and she was the one that was like doing the work and keeping the family afloat mm-hmm. and she just got fed up. She was like, "You know what, Carlos?" fuck off get out Mm -hmm. we're done and they divorced in the late 60s a few years later he would be found dead oh yeah and although griselda was never arrested or sort of tied to his death it was very much speculated that she did it she done him in oh she she made it happen right because supposedly his death came quite soon after a business dispute that they'd had oh her documents, like, the, she was making documents for local drug runners mm-hmm. um, and became, like, sort of more involved in that scene. Mm-hmm. And that's how she met a man called Alberto Bravo. Okay. He would become her second husband in the early 1970s. Now, Alberto was a trafficker. Oh. Yeah, for the Medellin cartel. Okay. And that was how Griselda was sort of... Introduced to the Colombian cocaine trade Mm -hmm. into America. And in the early 70s, that was just really starting to Mm -hmm. become a thing. Like business was about to boom. And it turns out that Griselda saw an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. And she goes into business. She's going to make her mark on the industry and Alberto's going to help her. Mm -hmm. So she goes back to Colombia and buys a business Mm -hmm. making women's lingerie. Mm -hmm. Well, undergarments. Okay. They make bras and girdles and stuff with secret compartments. Yes. Yeah, to hide Cocaine. Yeah. And then she then encourages, she's like, you know, like, look at me. I'm wearing all this lovely underwear and stuff. Like, do I look like a drug trafficker to keep Mm -hmm. to you? And he's like, no. And she's like, yeah, well, stop using vulnerable poor people who look like they're smuggling drugs. Mm -hmm. Start using gorgeous model women who Mm -hmm. aren't going to get searched because they're so distractingly beautiful. Yeah. Use old people in wheelchairs. And she essentially opens up all these trade routes by using these gorgeous women with the, like, special lingerie. Mm -hmm. And she's hiding it. She's basically looking at everything and be like, I can hide drugs in that. 
Mm-hmm. Just give me a minute. Mm-hmm. And like high heels, wheelchairs, coat hangers, suitcases, like with a false bottom. Yeah. Like she's she's making all this happen. Yeah, to be fair, like the amount of things that I have looked at that I've owned that I thought, do you know what? If that was hollow, you could put loads of shit in there. Not that I would ever smuggle drugs. And this is obviously without sniffer dogs being well, a thing. You'd be but- hard push to do it now because she did it all and now everyone knows but but that's what I mean I can see where the thought comes into because you're just like like for example just quick quick side note there's someone has made fake phone chargers you know the the portable ones that actually hip hip flasks (laughs) so they have all the usb input so they have all the buttons and the lights and stuff but actually pull off the bottom of it and there's a little twisty cap cool and do you remember um when big weekend came to norwich and everyone was like oh how we got to smuggle our booze in and we we emptied out after sun containers and put rum in there did we because did i no, that? no I, I, went there. I did the like tropical taste of after sun like it's, it's always kind of like coconutty yeah and we were like fine we'll just put rum in there and it just tastes like malibu <laughs> like no. it's spiced rum no yeah and then you because they ain't gonna check they're not pulling the lid off your after sun no and then we'd just be able to go around like rum on your tongue like yeah <laughs> love it it was fucking desperate as shit that's that. a really nobody wants to pay eight quid for a rum and coke so. i mean like my smuggling story from download last year was just put it in the middle of the camping chair and they were like what you got in there <laughs> nothing, nothing 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 first time it worked second time no yeah no you're not a very good trafficker to be fair no because like, as soon as like as soon as we loaded up helen with the beers so you're like, go on, like you've carried this chair, Helen. It's got some business. Like, They're gonna know. They're gonna know. Like, what do I do? Where do I? Where, but just hold it, Helen. No, uh, <laughs> well, I was really surprised by you because normally you're just so like, yeah, hey, yeah. But uh, you know when you get pally with like security staff at a festival, she was so disappointed, in right? You. <laughs> and then and then I'm being a shithead. That was it. It was like, I'm sorry. I know. I've, I've, I've been naughty, haven't I? And she went, yeah, I went, I'm really sorry. Just going to take it back to the tent. Yeah, please don't hate me. <laughs> I, she didn't hate you. Oh, I know. You were very charming. She loved it. Yeah. You could have taken a lesson or two from Griselda. But, um, and it turned into this huge business and she was massively successful. She was like the brains behind the operation. And like all she needed was the in that Alberto she her. needed the um yeah so she kind of became like a pioneer in the like cocaine trade there were other drug lords all male she was the only woman sort mm-hmm. of female player there were some other drug lords that were saying you know we should share the risk and like you know streamline supply routes like we can join forces and essentially the medellin cartel became a thing like you know these sort of all these powerhouses kind of not working peacefully together but you know yeah all sort of sharing the same goal mm-hmm. and that cartel the medellin cartel would sort of be led by one of the most infamous drug lords in the world mm. pablo escobar Whoa. yeah but of course you can't sort of have such a big influx of cocaine into the country and now i'm talking this became a billion dollar share industry yeah like they were making like 80 million dollars a month Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, this huge influx of cocaine comes into the country and obviously, like, it draws the attention of the authorities. Mm -hmm. But Griselda was always able to evade capture. So Operation Banshee in 1974 Mm -hmm. brought DEA agents close to sort of uncovering the legend of Griselda Banco. They referred to her as a chameleon. She had loads of wigs Mm -hmm. and she was able to, like, just change her appearance completely. Like, she'd put on a blonde wig and, like, big handbag and stuff and look like a white 
soccer mum. Mm-hmm. She'll do her hair with an egg beater and like like look like a really disheveled homeless woman. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um and she'll have shopping bags and stuff and yeah. just disguise herself. And she's so she's like Great. once again a bit like the serpent from last episode, yeah. just sort of like slipping, slipping, and yeah. Stuff. So they could never that. really get. She was almost more like an enigma than mm-hmm. an actual like tangible thing. So DE agents always trying to like catch her, but they never could. And eventually, she did. She did go back to Colombia in uh, to Medellin in 1975, just mm. to sort of lay low for a while because the heat was um, pretty hot. Getting to her, yeah. Alberto had already gone back to Medellin to oversee the business there. Mm-hmm. So when Griselda came back to join him, you know, they were sort of back to running things together. What he didn't know is that he was never going to make it back to America. Shit. Yeah. So Griselda believed that Alberto was responsible for millions of dollars going missing from their business. Mm-hmm. He was skimming some off on the side and also that he was like, playing around right and appearance is really important to Griselda mm-hmm. she like you just she's not to be fucked with so yeah if he's embarrassing her he's trying to steal her money she's not having it so she confronts him in mm. a nightclub car park in Bogota mm-hmm. which is the capital of Colombia right where confrontation becomes violent she pulls a pistol from her shirt shoots him in the face fuck just as he fires his Uzi they're all just casually carrying around these fucking giant guns. Right. Yeah. Griselda walked away from that interaction with a bullet wound to her stomach. Ow. Yeah. And he died? Alberto did not walk away. And yeah. neither did his bodyguards. She fucking smoked him. Dead. What a ledge. Sorry, I always well, say that because yeah. as a female, you just think, wow, powerhouse. cool, powerhouse. Yeah, not taking any prison. So with her second, her second husband dead, she then earns the moniker of the Black Widow. <sighs> Kills yeah. the man. She sort of developed a reputation for killing wayward lovers. Sorry, quickly, to all the male listeners out there, I don't hate men. It's just when you hear a story about a woman being ferocious and strong, it's kind of like, yay, because think, yeah, we have it hard. Particularly in the world <laughs> right? of true crime, it's so male dominated often that we hear of women not being the victim yeah i think like this it's sort of similar to like topics that we've covered in the past of like eileen warnas and ruth ellis in that for a woman to kill so violently and directly is really unusual like yeah and this is incredibly violent she shot him in the face so yeah she is not a woman to be messed with and people are really quickly realizing this and she's feared amongst her peers without alberto she had free reign to run their business she took over she was she became a queen pin Mm -hmm. so she moved to miami which sort of became like the cocaine capital of the u.s at the time and it was there that she met and married her third husband the rio sepulveda I've had a thought come through my brain and i just want to get it off my chest because it's, it's itching In regards to the cocaine world, don't you think it's massively sort of hypocritical that a lot of the cocaine that gets sold is to a lot of like really rich business people and yuppies that just want to have coke at all of their parties and stuff like it's illegal and but they're still probably like funding buying all this cocaine but also could be potentially quite close with the law as well and like people in political positions. That's just a bit messed up. It's so far-reaching. Like, this is... It's an industry, cocaine. Yeah, yeah it like, is. It's mad. So, yeah. but why is it criminalised if a lot of people that 
are involved, have got their fingers in the pie, are also like respectable members of society. Because they've built the industry up on the backs of people who are being exploited horribly and murder everyone and it's and just it's bad for you this is like such a naive and ignorant query of mine because i just don't understand the world is so corrupt and <laughs> yeah no it is i mean just look at pablo escobar he's well you can't just look at pablo escobar that's yeah. a fucking giant hill to yeah. pull down it's so far reaching and i think also it's in a way it is kind of clever sell it to the rich people like yeah. make it an exclusive you know it's highly sought after. Pay me loads of money for it. I wonder if politicians are enjoying it too. Everybody's enjoying it. Yeah, of course they are. But it's illegal. It's mad, isn't it? <laughs> My brain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she's just married Dario. Griselda obviously had her three grown-up boys by now. She thought she was done having children, but they ended up having a little baby boy uh-huh. who she named Michael Corleone Blanco. She named him after the godfather. Cool. So you can see kind of like what she thought of herself. Yeah. What she was doing and uh, you know, how things are happening. Uh, yeah. And that was in um, the late 70s mm-hmm. that she did that. In the meantime, she'd been sort of becoming increasingly addicted to smoking bazookas. What's that? So I had to learn this. I've learned things. Bazooko is low-grade cocaine paste. So it's like a byproduct of the cocaine-making yeah process and it's like the sludge at the bottom of the (laughs) barrel (laughs) but you'd take that and put it in a cigarette and smoke it no yeah i don't know if there was weed in there as well or i think you could just sort of do what you want so essentially smoking cocaine so she's smoking like she's smoking more and more and it's just it's doing nothing to help her be a rational and effective businesswoman. Like, it's, she's, you know, getting really paranoid and impulsive in her behaviour. And she's just, basically, if you, like, vexed her or she thought that you'd slighted her, she'd just kill you or have you killed. Shit. Yeah. And, like, essentially just sort of did what she wanted. And she's living this, like, big mafia, like, cartel boss vibe. And, obviously, The Godfather had come out in 1972, just as just as she sort of entered this world and became quite a big player in it. And so she became what she wanted Mm -hmm. to be, like the Godfather. And she became known as La Madrina, which is translates as the Godmother. Wow. Yeah. So she's sort of living this like no bullshit, no tolerance, volatile lifestyle. And I said earlier, people like are afraid of her, but Mm -hmm. like essentially She'd kill first and ask questions later, and someone is quoted by saying that other criminals killed with intent. They would check before they killed, but Blanco would kill first and then say, well, he was innocent, that's too bad, but he's dead now. Like, Whoa. Yeah, and she would be personal, like, she'd take it, she'd be personal with it. So, like, she'd also say that if she ordered someone killed, kill the witnesses, leave no seed, like their children bystanders mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. next door like mm-hmm. you know depending on how she felt at the time yeah as well she's terrifying and she sort of gathered a group of henchmen around her that became known as the pistoleros Ooh. yeah initiation into that group oh god was earned by killing someone and cutting off a body part as proof of the deed oh my god why why is this necessary why do you have to do these things to because put- like she so she's ruling by fear like she needs to make sure she's in a position of power now like mm-hmm. and so all these different sort of like it's weird you have to think of them like little families and there's all these different people trying to like get on top of the 
cocaine business. Like mm-hmm. they want to take out their rivals and take over their business. Like anybody who's earning money, like who's trafficking cocaine and earning money is money that could be yours. That could yeah. be your route. It's almost like she's fortifying herself. She's getting a reputation of being a bit of a maniac. Yeah. Basically she'd kill anyone. She'd wayward lovers, rival cartel members or rival drug lords. She'd also use murder as like a means of like cancelling debts. Right. So like if she owed someone something and didn't want to pay it back, she's just kind of fucking dead. I'm sure she wouldn't owe anybody anything because she's rolling in it. Yeah, I think it was like favours and things like oh, that. Okay. Or if like she lent someone money and they didn't pay her back on time, dead. Mm. Kids dead. Everyone's dead. Fuck. It got to a point where she like, she was just sort of becoming a bit unhinged almost. Yeah. Yeah. So Blanco's most trusted hitman was a man called Jorge Ayala. Mm-hmm. He's the one that recounted that when Blanco ordered a hit, it meant everyone in the vicinity has to be killed. Innocent bystanders, women, children. Blanco did not care. And she even started ordering hits in broad daylight. So uh-huh. I'll bring you back to the 11th of July, 1979, at 2.30, at the Crown Liquor Store in the Daedland Shopping Mall. Their target that time was a rival cocaine trafficker called German Jimenez Paneso and his bodyguard, Juan Carlos Hernandez. So they were killed. Apparently, she owed him some money and she didn't want to pay her back. So she had him killed and that was just an instance of like this cartel warfare that was erupting and it was particularly between the colombian cartels against the cuban oh okay cartels and um this was they became dubbed this sort of warfare they became dubbed as cocaine cowboys oh okay yeah and so it's like a time there's loads of various documentaries and films that all have like cocaine cowboys as the subject and title references they're a particularly good one on netflix actually what called cocaine cocaine cowboys cocaine cowboys yeah yeah interestingly so when her men were trying to flee the scene in this big old van that Mm. they had they said they had this armored van and the police they they had to ditch it because it got stuck like in traffic so they ditched it and the police found it inside they called it a war wagon War wagon filled with guns God. and ammunition, and it said "Happy Times" and, on the outside. Yeah, and it was armored, so people shot at it. Yeah, they like, were fine. So Griselda then changed things up because we already know that she's like resourceful, she's mm-hmm. innovative, she's a pioneer. Yeah. So the next time that she ordered one of her rivals to be killed, she insisted that her men were to ride ride up on motorcycles mm-hmm. and assassinate them as they drove past. Don't even stop. Just fucking shoot. If you hit other people, doesn't yeah, matter. Just make sure you hit who you need to hit. A little bit of Sons of Anarchy going on there. Yeah. Well, she essentially invented the motorcycle drive-by. Like, we just take it for granted what? now that that's a thing. But people didn't do that before. She was the first one. She's, she's sort of credited with inventing the motorcycle drive-by. Ooh. And I'm like, of all the things to sort of, you know, with the, like, the lingerie and the pockets and stuff, you can kind of think, oh, she's so, like, that's clever, that's innovative. Like, yeah. But, like, this is fucking dark. Yeah. But, like, once again, there's so much collateral damage from drive-bys all the time. And yeah. so it's she don't give, sh- give a shit, yeah. like, who she hurts as long as she gets what she wants out of it. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that by doing these kind of things that she's pissing a lot of people off as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's the beginning of the end for her because she's sort of, lo- like... She's losing as it. As soon as you go a bit, like, start to spiral a bit and you go too hard... 
It never ends well. We know this. Well, she's making powerful enemies. So yes. some of the people that she killed were like relatives of like really big players. And yeah. they're going to seek revenge because they mm-hmm. can't look weak. And that's sort of also how this like drug, the Miami drug war escalates as well. So there's just bodies racking up everywhere. And it's all sort of contributing to her reputation. Mm. So like she's La Madrina. Mm. Like, oh, and just even the, the name will strike fear in people's yeah. hearts. They'll look away. They won't talk about her. They won't talk of her for fear of... Like Voldemort. Like, yeah, for yeah. fear of vexing her Yeah, and her taking revenge. Because, yeah, you have to watch out what you're saying because if you say the wrong thing, you'll end up dead. Oh, God. And your family will end up dead. Yeah. Which is interesting because family was so important to her. She's obsessed with her boys, like loved mm-hmm. her boys so much. And her three older boys joined the family business and like would sort of run things for mm-hmm. her when she was like in hiding, mm-hmm. like going and sort of devoting more of her time to being a mum to Michael. Okay. The baby, the wee baby Michael. And she was like, you know, Michael, I'm going to give him the best life. Like mm-hmm. he's going to be the one. And he actually has done quite a few open interviews about his life with his mum. They're difficult to find online now. Like there's a VHS, a VH, is it VHS one? Mm-hmm. channel they did a documentary called cartel crew where he really opened up in there but there was another one another documentary co- called evil lives here which he they did an episode about him because to him that's just his mom yeah like, and she was really kept things away from him this whole like underbelly of how their lives were built mm-hmm. this sort of the violence and the precariousness of their lives was really kept away from him so he just had a mum who like liked to dress up in in different wigs and move around a lot and you know like and there were always men in his house yeah he never sort of like equated it with like oh we have bodyguards yeah because people want to hurt us and they would have these big family dinners where like the pistoleros would come and sit around the table they're just his uncles have, they'd yeah they'd all have these they'd have these like big family dinners and it's like a big thing you cannot be armed at the table right like if you bring a gun and put a gun down on the table like you're fucking out you're out yeah yeah, yeah because i suppose when you're growing up in a situation like you don't question these things because it's just normal I didn't grow up in a cartel, but like I can think of things from when I was a kid that would happen. And then as an adult, you're like, oh, it's because of that. Yeah. And then you're like, I didn't have any clue that that was going on. Yeah, exactly. And this is kind of it. And so he said like, you know, there was always different men. Like some of these men would never be around for very long. Like, Mm -hmm. and they'd disappear and he'd be like, oh, mum was like, mum was so-and-so. And Mm -hmm. she'd be like, oh, he's gone back to college. Yeah. Like he's gone back to college because you have to get a good education. Right. Or like there's, you know, he needs to go learn this. Yeah. Whereas realistically, they're probably dead. They've been killed either by Griselda or doing work for Griselda. Yeah. Her most trusted hitman, Jorge, was like a big part of Michael's life because he was always around there. Like he was always around. Yeah. And once again, no idea that these people are just doing awful, atrocious things. Yeah. He got involved with cocaine trade for a while but is is not in it anymore and it just sounds like the realization of his mum essentially being a monster Mm -hmm. it's really sort of it's it's really touching like Mm. it's really it it gets you when you sort of hear him talk about it in 1983 Dario had had enough of the way sort of Griselda was running things and decided that he was going to leave her Mm -hmm. and go back to Colombia given her 
that he's husband number three, I think is really brave. Yeah. <laughs> but also foolish because when he went, he kidnapped Michael. She. He took him with him because they were fighting about custody. Right. And he didn't want to leave Michael in the care of Griselda because she was being so, she was so volatile. She yeah. was so violent. And yeah. People were after her and he feared for his son. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. But I do also wonder if he just wanted to piss her off a bit. I don't know. I just can't decide if it was brave or stupid to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of talk or speculation about what actually happened to Dorio, but Michael's recounting of it is so harrowing to listen to. So obviously Michael didn't realise he'd been kidnapped. He was just like, Daddy's oh, taking me Daddy's out. Daddy's taken me to Colombia. Mm-hmm. And that's odd. Where's like, why hasn't mum come? Mm-hmm. Like, where's everybody else? What mm-hmm. are we doing? When are we going home? Mm-hmm. Like not really getting any answers, but you know, okay, we're just having a nice trip with my dad. Mm-hmm. Until one day they were in the car mm-hmm. driving around and they were pulled over by the police on motorcycles. Oh God. They asked Dario to, get out of the car they need to talk to him mm-hmm. and he does and then he gets out and he like they step in front of a car and start to have a conversation and Dario realizes what's happening and runs they're not policemen are they they are policemen but they're not employed by the government at that point okay they're employed by by Griselda oh fuck shit and they pull their guns and open fire yeah and Dario was shot 27 times fuck And Michael recalls, he remembers seeing his father just lying there full of holes. And I think at the time he was like six or something. Oh my God. Like he was a child. Shut up. Yeah. And he just says that it's still like the worst day of his life. Yeah. And I just cannot imagine having to watch that. And then also, oh but, my God, but also yeah. don't, like he had no fucking idea why that happened. No. And why the police were and doing that. And it's the police. Yeah. yeah. Like he's got no idea. And I just think Griselda, you've got like a reputation to uphold or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like obviously she was going to kill him for kidnapping her son. Mm-hmm. She kills everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. But like to not even like when you order the hit, order that her son didn't see it. Exactly. Or like make sure that Michael isn't around. Get Dario when he's by himself. Yeah. Because she's got enough money to make that happen. Yeah, definitely. In it. And I just, that sort of gets me as well. So, yeah, but she'd essentially, she'd paid to have Dario so assassinated. So then, he's not going to want to go in the company of these policemen, is Well, they, no. So this is why it's a bit grey. Like, I don't really know who came to get him, but, like, she didn't. She wasn't there. In the film, it's lovely hitman, Jorge. Mm. But... I don't know how accurate that is, but essentially he was basically, he just, he was shipped back to America to his mum. And at the time they were, uh, as she was in California, they, she took him to California because they had to hide out because her enemies were starting to catch up with her as well. So she was in hiding because she'd killed some other people and their relatives were really pissed off and had put a hit out on her. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all really mad. And then I also think if you had a hit out on you and you're actually like, you're in hiding because you know that people are actively trying to arrest or murder you. Why would you keep your child, your most important, like, why would you keep your child so close to you? Yeah. But I guess also, I think she's just so sure of herself that the safest place is with her because she's La Madrina. Yeah. No one would dare. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously not long after this, Michael sort of starts to find out who his mother is. Yeah. She's a queen pin of the Colombian cocaine industry. She's a fucking big deal massive deal like she didn't even have to answer to pablo escobar like you know how everyone's terrified of him she's not afraid of him because she pioneered she invented most of the routes that he uses so yeah you know he's the leader of the cartel but 
essentially they sort of work alongside each other rather than yeah she's to be respected because she gave him a helping yeah hand. and like he won't go after her because she's la madrina but equally she knows not to go after him they got a mutual respect for each yeah. other in the film dario actually works for pablo escobar yeah but i can't see that that's actually true in real life all it says is that he's a bank robber people was, were coming for her and mm. whether that was her enemies or the dea people were closing in and i think part of that is because of her ever increasing appetite for violence she yeah. was just like and lack well, lack yeah, of uh sort of, she didn't really have any it's almost like she started off really like savvy smart like business yeah making a name for herself and then like all the power kind of she just almost and, and the bazookas i think she, she, mostly just gets a bit sloppy sloppy but also probably i would say a little bit too arrogant yeah like she's very comfortable in her sort of ability to just succeed yeah yeah also she continued to be a chameleon so she was always changing her appearance and evading law enforcement and stuff so she was also really good at just getting away yeah because like it's been 10 years now she hasn't been arrested almost she's come close a few times but they've never been able to catch her so she would take lovers she'd have women on the go really yeah men on the go sometimes people would say that she would force them like to sort of be with her like oh. and have guns on the table and stuff other times she was just quite charming and like yeah but she sort of sought the comfort of women and people around her to sort of like distract her i think from the fact that things were closing in yeah yeah and it's just this kind of like sex drugs money a TV, whole other lifestyle a whole other world yeah it? so also in 1983, the DEA gets a call from a citizen, a concerned citizen, a very rich white concerned citizen, okay. um, that their also very rich white daughter was dating this Latino drug dealer guy. Oh. And he just seemed to have an endless supply of money. Yeah. They were concerned. They were concerned. That, that he couldn't possibly have all this money. No. Ugh, but God. it turns out they were right because this guy's name mm. is Uber Blanco. Oh, bear. So the boy hate that though. That just like oh, yeah. Well, it's just like I mean, to be oh, fair, oh. like with everything that was going on, the Miami drug wars and stuff, oh. I think it was quite, quite legitimate at that okay. time. But like, yeah, the boys had been running things in Miami while Griselda was sort of lying low in California okay. with Michael. But it meant that the DEA now had a link to her and sort of you know her operations mm -hmm. because she'd basically become an enigma. Like right. they were just they'd spent so long sort of chasing her and not getting anywhere yeah in 1985 they actually caught up with her and on february 17th Criselda was arrested in her home by the dea and charged with conspiring to manufacture import and distribute cocaine so they must have had some evidence and inkling yeah so i think there's at this point it gets there's a few different sources and it gets a bit confusing because there's a lot of names there's like the brother of someone she killed that they'd arrested um like flipped on her and was like i can help you catch her and okay and like, yeah and it just all gets a bit messy and sort of i've sort of glazed over that on purpose slightly mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's a mind because i didn't want to get it wrong yeah 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 <laughs> but um basically they through got circumstances her of people chatting and ever yeah. external sources they found her they were yeah and they were able to sort of go through like you know this person is the brother of this person who drove her hitman's brother's wife yeah this person here and like and this person is pissed off at her so you might be able to flip her because they're mm -hmm. pissed off because he killed she had his brother and their two-year-old son killed 
Like, so it's kind of one of those. And I think they also ended up arresting a couple of people because they were getting too close to Griselda and were actually going to get in the way of the investigation. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was like this whole like spiderweb, like, you know, big like net of trying to catch her. And the case went to trial in federal court in New York City and she was found guilty and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Is that it? That's just for the conspiring to manufacture, import and distribute cocaine. Right. While she was in there... Mm -hmm. She was the charged with three counts of first degree murder by the state of Florida. Right. I think some of those were for the once again, it's sort of a bit it's it's a bit murky here. One of the main testament people to give testimony. Mm-hmm. Like, I think all the whole time that she was in prison, Griselda was still a bit like, It's fine, they can't get me because she had, you know, everyone's too afraid to talk. Like mm-hmm. she still sort of had her power. Mm-hmm. But the prosecution had managed to arrest Jorge Ayala her favorite hit hit man and they'd made a deal with him he was going to testify against her and then she started to sort of crap her pants a bit because if she was found guilty she could be sentenced to death and it would be electric chair at that point I think that's a bit yeah and they were like feeling really good because they were able to build this whole case and a lot of it was reliant on the testimony of Jorge but then the case collapsed because Jorge had been having phone sex with two of the female secretaries who worked in the state attorney's office. And there was this whole massive sex scandal. What? And I don't, I can't get my head around it properly. So Jorge, who was giving the testimony, had been managing to have phone sex from prison with secretaries who worked at the attorney's office. So they essentially, it essentially discredited everything that he had to say and his testimony became sort of moot. But and why so, would it discredit everything he said? I don't know. It's got nothing to do with the fact that he, he knows what's... What? I, get, I don't know because sex... Oh, I don't I don't know. Oh. I don't really get it. Yeah, so essentially they then didn't have that much evidence because they don't... They sort of say there was no cocaine on the table. They were, like they didn't have hard evidence. It was just all kind of like, well, we know it's her and everybody's saying it's because she's done all these things. Mm. But they don't have this body has this bullet hole from this gun yeah. which has her fingerprints on it yeah they don't, they don't have, have that. that no yeah that kind of all fell apart but in 1998 she pleaded guilty to three counts of second degree murder mm-hmm. and was sentenced to 20 years in prison so she was able to escape the death sentence which is ultimately okay. what she wanted right and she went to prison in 2004 she was released and deported back to Medellin. so she did not spend 20 years in prison no i'm not entirely sure what happened there but i think it looks like there was a back-end deal with the judge that did the sentencing who then, like, Corrupt. gave this big old sentence and then was like, oh, I forgot, I promised I could, I wouldn't sentence her to longer than her boys were in prison for. Because, actually, she's, like, sorted me out this yeah. deal for me and my yuppie friends back at the university. Yeah, so she's going to give us, like, a, a year's supply of cocaine for all of our needs. So, so yeah. yeah. like, something odd happened there. Right. Um, but she was deported um, and had to go back to Medellin. And while she was in prison, like, her enemies, because they couldn't get to her, went after the boys. And one by one... Shit. Well, yeah, one by one, Osvaldo, Dixon and Uber were killed. <gasps> Yeah, so they're Fuck. all they're all they're all gone. That happened while she was in prison, but also when she when as she got back to Medellin, and when she got back to Medellin, she essentially was back where she started. She had a she had a fair amount of wealth there, yeah. still, but she lived by herself. She lived like an old lady. Like she would watch TV, she'd go for walks. She was she was nobody anymore. Like well, she was still La Madrina, but she didn't have business. 
No. She was done until it caught up with her. And oh, no. On the 3rd of September, 2012, Griselda had gone to the market to buy some meat from the butcher. And as she left the butcher's shop, she stepped outside. A motorcycle approached, sped past and opened fire. And what Griselda, a poetic ending yeah. to her life. What Griselda, a full circle moment. Griselda was shot and killed. She was shot in the head and the shoulder and she died in the street. Why though? I think there was a lot of people who wanted her dead for various reasons. Revenge. Yeah. She was the victim of her own invention. Yeah, uh, that's like, what I mean. Yeah, and it, it is very poetic, I it do is. think. Um, yeah, full yeah. circle moment that is, isn't it? So yeah, uh, the past caught up with her I mean, um, on we, a motorcycle. We have entire movies and TV series that are just about getting revenge yeah like like so i can yeah i can understand why people would want to while she's still on their mind yeah even years later so that's it and she died and that oh, is man. the end of griselda blanco wild i just think it, when you think like a colombian drug trade you think pablo escobar you think cartels you think scarface mustaches you think, yeah you think it's just all white men. shirts it's and all jeans men. actually i just found it so interesting that there's this woman who was such a massive driving force behind the success of the cocaine industry yeah. in the 70s she was a pioneer as much as she was frightening horrifying and did really terrible things she was a pioneer like actually mad how violent she was yeah and that's that yeah. next time in devils in the dark with me helen anderson and me danny howard we're going to be looking into the story of the giggling nanny Ooh. intriguing Subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram at Devils in the Dark. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.